Amen. I love that song. I love the uh, idea that when I'm down and whatever happening, I know God's the one that has the strength to, uh, to lift me up. And that's a great, great blessing. Well, good morning, church. Uh, I don't know if we got the other side with us yet or not. Are, are they on? Can somebody tell me? Because I can't see it down here. All right, somebody let me know when that happens, all right? Okay. Um, by the way, need to remind everybody, we have uh, 40 days of prayer coming up. It's going to be starting. And um, uh, this starts actually next Sunday. Uh, these are, I think, out in the foyer for you to pick up. Uh, now, if you, um, uh, if you start your 40 days of prayer earlier, then that's fine too, okay? All right, so uh, we need all the prayer we can get, right? All right, all right. 40 days of prayer. Pick that up. Let's get rolling on praying the old year out. I'm ready to pray 2020 out and the new year in, all right? Okay, let's go to start with a scripture reading. Emory Lindsay, come on up here, gal. She's going to read a text, and the reason I chose this text is because when you go back to the book of John, this text explains why the book of John, the whole book, was written. So thank you for sharing with us today, okay? All right, go ahead. John 20, John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Thank you so very, very much. Thank you so much. I love that verse, and I love our young men and women coming and sharing with us. That verse basically sets the tone for the whole book. It says, look, this is why this book was written. I want people to, to see who Jesus is, believe that he is who he claims to be, and in doing so, find eternal life. And that's pretty much sum, sums up Christianity, right? We want people to see who Jesus is, find hope there, and find eternal life. John chapter 18, if you'll turn to that chapter, which is what we're going to be dealing with today. In John chapter 18, we're dealing with the arrest of Jesus, and we're also dealing with the Peter's denial. So you kind of got three main characters here. You've got, uh, of course, Jesus. His, his uh, majesty is going to be seen. You have Judas. His treachery is going to be seen. And then Peter's uh, brokenness, really, is what's going to be seen as we look through this uh, section of Scripture here. Uh, so it's going to start with this arrest of Jesus. Uh, anybody in here ever been arrested? Uh, some of our like, do I raise my hand? Do I really tell people this? It's okay. We, we know it anyway. <laughs> we took a picture of all that. We'll be doing background checks. Uh, <laughs> well, here's a situation where they had all kinds of opportunities to make this arrest. They, there were several times they could have done this, but, but always it, it never happened. And the reason it didn't happen because it wasn't the right time. And Jesus is going to show that he's really in control of everything. You know, they think they're making something happen. Really, it's all happening according to how he's laid it out, not mankind. And so let's do a little bit of reading here at the beginning of John chapter 18. When Jesus had finished praying, 
And by the way, actually, it's not the word prayer here. If you'll see some other versions, it says when he's finished talking. And so it's not just the end of 17. It probably includes chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. His whole conversation with the disciples. I'm leaving you. I don't want you to be troubled at heart. I want you to bear fruit. All these things, I think, are involved. But we know the last chapter was him praying. And so he finished that. And Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive garden, and he and the disciples went into it. Now, let's talk about, break down that couple things first of all. He tells us here when this happened, the writer did, uh, for our purpose, I believe. And also he tells us here where it happened, the geography of it. Now, the Kidron uh, Valley or ravine actually was a, a big drop-off area where in the winter rains flooded through there, but in the summer it stayed dry most of the time. There was a little wadi or a little creek there. It was right there. Up above it was the temple area where they sacrificed the lambs. And so the blood of the lambs would run into the bottom of the ravine and through the creek, which sometimes they called it the, the black wadi or the black creek and that's where the blood would run across and then it ironic that the lamb of god is going to cross this ravine where blood had come many times to walk up the mountain to this garden a garden he says that they've got they've gone to a whole lot he comes there often let's keep reading On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed uh, him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with the disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. By by the way, a detachment uh, uh, was a large number of soldiers, sometimes up from 600 to 1,000. Now, I don't know that he brought the whole detachment. They, uh, most guys think that he brought two to, two to three, four hundred guys with him. This is, no, this is not just a few people that's coming with this commander, as well as the police of the temple and these uh, chief priests. So they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Let's get this first scene. So Jesus takes his disciples. They go to the garden. And that, that, there at the garden, is a, it's an intimate place. It's a place where they've been together. It's a place where they've had fellowship, communion together. It's a place where they've shared a, a, a meaning of life together. It's a kind of a retreat area for them. So the disciples are very familiar with it. And this is where Judas lines up this betrayal. I mean, it's, not, it's bad enough he's betraying the one he's been around the last three years. But to betray him in the very place that he also had intimacy with this man. Think about that. The treachery of his heart. And it says he guided these guys. Now that's a little ironic too, isn't it? That the only disciple that was lost was the one that was being the guide to those that would arrest him. 
And they came, it says, with torches and lanterns. They came in dark with torches and lanterns to arrest the light of the world. And they came, he says, with weapons to arrest the Prince of Peace. The one that that never did any violence to anybody. And yet there's this crowd now. They all come up here. And when they, they come up to Jesus, they find in there Judas, he's separated off now. He's back over here just standing with the guys that are going to capture Jesus, right? He's still with the wrong crew. A little lesson than that, by the way. And Jesus says, Jesus goes out to meet them. And he says, who is it you want? They said Jesus of Nazareth. And then he replied this in the Greek. Ego ami. Ego ami. It's the same term in John 8 when they were accusing him and talking about Abraham. And he said, before Abraham, I what? I am. It's the same when in Exodus when Moses was going, who do I tell the people of God, who do I tell sent me? And God says what? I am. Remember all the I am statements of the book of John? I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the good shepherd. And they said, we're come to find this Jesus of Nazareth. And, and, and here he steps forward and says, I am he. I am. Eagle, I am. And when they said that, I don't know if it was the force of his majesty or if it was their familiarity with the history of what he claimed and who he claimed to be, but they fell back and went to the ground. All these soldiers and strong and violent people who are come there to capture the creator of the universe... They come there to get him, and all of a sudden, when he says that one statement, they back up and fall to the ground. Oh, but that could have only been their consistent position. It's almost like there's another opportunity for grace here. They drew back, they fell to the ground, and again he asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, I told you that I am he. Jesus answered, if you're looking for me, then let these men go. So they've got them all surrounded, right? But remember in the earlier chapter what Jesus even prayed, Father, protect them. And earlier he made a promise, I will protect my own. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant's ear, uh, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, I often thought about this. So they're all gathered up. Look, there's a big crew of them, right? And there's soldiers and there's the the, uh, uh, temple police. They're all gathered up there. They're going to capture Jesus. And uh, old Simon, he's full of zeal. He pulls his sword and he's like, I'll take them all on. You know, bring it on. I got you, Jesus. I got you covered. And he cuts off the guy's ear. Now, either he was an incredibly skillful 
swordsman. Or he was terrible and missed the whole head. I'm not sure exactly how that happened. But I'm sure it shocked Malchus. This guy, even you know, he got, he, made, he got made famous there in the garden by getting his ear cut off, right? Now, the other accounts tell us what Jesus did. Jesus picked up the guy's ear and put it back on, healed it. Boom, just like that. Here, old Peter is so full of zeal and excitement because he's an He's an on-again, off-again kind of guy. Are you, are you ever like that? He's an on-again, off-again guy. I mean, at one point he's ready to fire up and fight the whole thing. Next thing you can't find him. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus in total control of everything here. And he says to Peter, put that away. That's not how we do things. There's a cup. It's the cup of suffering. And should I, shall I not take the cup that's laid out for me to take? If he doesn't take that cup, then you and I just drank a a useless cup at our own communion. His cup of suffering made our cup of hope possible. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials, by the way, the word commander here in the Greek, it's it's a commander of a thousand men. He doesn't have all thousand of them there necessarily, but that's, that's, this guy thought it was worthwhile to come out here and be a part of this. This commander, because it was, it, was, uh, 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 you know, it was Passover time, they have extra police out expecting something to happen, and this commander, pretty high up, he comes and is going to kind of oversee this thing. So its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus, and they bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. By the way, earlier you find out that Caiaphas actually had prophesied that Jesus would die for the world. Simon Peter and another disciple, now we're not told who this other disciple is, but most people think it's John, uh, and that uh, John had a little bit better connections in the town and the city and a little bit wealthier situation than some of the rest of them. Because here's why. It says, another uh, uh, disciple was known, who was known to the high priest, so he has a relationship there, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. Now the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You ever had that happen? You go somewhere with one of your fancy friends and they get in and you can't? All right? That, that's kind of what happened, you know? It's like you want to say, hey, I'm with them. And they're like, oh, no, no, you're, oh, you're over there. You get over there where you belong, you little people, right? So, so for whatever reason, if, if it is John, he gets in. He goes in to see what's happening here with Jesus. 
And, and Peter, he can't get in the courtyard. But John, he, he pulls a little weight until John uh, goes over there and tells the uh, young woman there, spoke to the girl that was on duty, and, said, and, and brought Peter in. You're not one of the disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. And he replied, oh, I'm, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. He said, look, there's plenty of witnesses. Matter of fact, that's the way the Jewish people did it anyway, was bringing witnesses of something. He said, there are plenty of witnesses. Bring them in. They all, I did it out in public. I was in the temple areas, in the synagogue. Everybody could hear. Get, get those witnesses. Bring them in. Let them, let them speak. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. One verse says, slapped him with the open hand. In this way you answer, is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? Now, how would you respond to that, by the way? Here's Jesus' response. If I said something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? He tells the truth. They don't like it. One guy takes it upon himself just to slap him in the face. Of all people in this story, I don't want to be this guy either. Then Anna sent him and still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You're not one of the disciples, are you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. Then one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Now, of all things, you go there, you cut this man's ear off in the garden, you show back up at the courtyard, you're warming yourself by the fire, and who's there? His cousin. You just can't get away with anything, right? You ever do that? You ever show up somewhere you think nobody around there is going to know you, and all of a sudden somebody hollers your name? I was, uh, I was in, uh, I forget the name of the pharmacy. It, it, it closed down. It didn't close down because I was in it. I mean, it just closed down. Anyway, uh, I said I was in the, I was in this pharmacy. Uh, uh, with Bill Angeli, we went to pick something up and I went to get in line. It was around the holidays. I went to get in line and there was somebody in front of me and they recognized. I recognized, I thought I recognized them. I wasn't sure. Oh, they knew me. They called me by name. They turned around and they had some uh, liquor with them. And so they immediately started uh, confessing why they were buying that. Oh, uh, look, I'm not, I mean, I just, which is what my wife cooks with this, and we might, you know. And so I get this story. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. So, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. And so they pay for it and quickly get out of there, you know. And so I walk by and I said, Bill, who was that? 
He said, I don't know. I said, well, I don't know either. I said, a poor guy confessed when he didn't even have to, you know. (laughs) Somebody knows you. Peter's standing around there warming his hands. And here's this guy that recognizes him and knows him. I know, I saw what you did to my cousin. Cut his ear off. Of course, what he also saw was Jesus put it back on. And Peter's like, oh, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. Then he, let's just read the rest of this text. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Because remember, Jesus told him, you're going to deny me three times before a rooster crows. And I bet you, you couldn't live by Peter the rest of his years and own a rooster, I guarantee you. He was eating a lot of chicken. He's getting rid of those things, right? They're a bad reminder of a weak point in his life. Denied him three times. It's amazing. In the garden, he was full of zeal, pulled out a sword, and he's ready to take on the whole group of soldiers. And with his sword full of zeal, he turns around and his tongue is full of silence. Does that describe us any time? Do you find yourself come to church, get excited about the worship, and, and, and Ryan gets the band going, everybody's, everybody's fired up for the Lord, and you have full of zeal, and you walk out here into your community and stand around and talking to them in pockets of people, and yet deny by your actions that you're a disciple of Jesus. Judas is treachery. A lost man guiding men with torches to find the light of the world is a terrible scene. The majesty of Jesus making them fall down on their knees and showing who he is, protecting his own, saying, I love you. Look, by the way, he's still protecting you too. And then Peter's denial. So will you and I deny or will we stand? Remember the old song, stand up, stand up for Jesus. It's time that the disciples in our culture, in our time, stand up for Jesus in our culture. Stand up for Jesus against the world we live in. Stand up for the church of God. Stand up with the Word of God and stand up by the Son of God. Stand up, my friends. Stand up for God. I don't want to be where every time I hear a rooster crow, I think of my weakest point in life. Now, the greatest thing is redemption because of Jesus turns around and uses this very one who was silent that night to preach the gospel in Acts 2 that started the great adventure of Christianity. 
He turned his life around, and he'll turn yours around too. Father, we love you. We need you desperately. We need courage to stand up. We need courage to be the light and salt you want us to be. Father, forgive us for forgetting the power of the blood of the Lamb, the light of the world, the Prince of Peace. In the middle of this old world that we live, we desperately need disciples, Father, that are brave, but more than brave, that are dependent on you. For it's not our bravery or lack of it that will make great things happen in the kingdom. It's our faith and trust in you as you are active in the kingdom through our weaknesses. As you take frail humanity, people you've called to be disciples, and turn the world upside down, you did it once and we ask you to do it again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.